Hello, uh, and welcome to the NLARM podcast series that focuses exclusively on the needs of nanorare patients and their families. I'm Stan Crook. I'm uh, the founder and chairman and CEO of NLARM Foundation. Uh, today, um, we're privileged to have two very special guests, uh, Dr. Neil Schneider, who is the Claire Tao Associate Professor of Neurology at Columbia uh, School of Medicine, and Sonia Kampfer, uh, who is a partner at Vectus Consultants, and uh, and her, her, her most important role, I suspect she would say, is she's also the mother of a wonderful 16-year-old daughter named Anna. Mm-hmm. Welcome, welcome to both of you. Yeah. It's great to have you. So, Neil, I know that, uh, that you... Um, did your undergraduate degree at Harvard and then an MD PhD at Columbia, uh, and then I think spent some time at the NIH and then came back home to to New York. So I guess you're a New York uh, boy uh, returned home, huh? I, I am. I I'm a chosen New Yorker, the best kind. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, if you're a real New Yorker, it's tough to take you out of the out of the city, right? It's <laughs> true. Yeah. It's true. Uh, well, it's, it's good to have you. And, um, and uh, so I, I, I know all that, Neil, but tell me how you got interested in motor disorders and in particular ALS and, 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 and those kinds of diseases, which are so devastating to so, so many people. Yeah, um, you know, my uh, interest uh, in, in ALS was a little in, indirect. I, I, um, I did, as you said, a, an MD-PhD and I was um, I did my uh, graduate training in basic neuroscience, molecular neurobiology. Um, and after my residency, um, I returned to, to uh, basic neuroscience and I was working in, uh, with Tom Jessel, uh, who's a uh, developmental neurobiologist and working in the motor system, trying to understand how motor neurons um, are born and, 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 and uh, establish their identity, a specific identity. But I was a neurologist and I wanted to integrate my science, my, my research with, with my clinical activities. And so I walked across the street. I was at Columbia then uh, uh, again and, and, and uh, met up with, with Bud Rowland, who was a great figure in, in neurology and, and uh, was an ALS specialist. And I began to see ALS patients um, at Bud's knee. And um, you know, I, I, if if you you know understand anything about ALS, you you know you, you understand that there's huge need, there's great need uh, of a, a population that uh, is is desperate for 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 answers. Um, and you know, in the time until those answers come, you know, uh, clinicians uh, uh, like me need to take care of these patients and the, and these families need to help walk them through the disease, you know, to try to do everything possible uh, without a real treatment and, and cure to, 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 to lessen the burden on the, on the patient and on their families and, and to maximize the, the length and the quality of their life. And, and it becomes a mission uh, uh, and, uh, you know, not one that's easy often, but one um, to which, you know, people like me become committed pretty quickly uh, and ALS becomes the enemy. 
it's pretty easy to understand how you could be com committed to to that and all you have to do is meet one patient and, and it's pretty obvious you know I, I don't know about you but i've been amazed uh, at how much has been learned about the neurological central neurological system over the last 20 30 years and and of course uh, motor neurons are such fascinating cells because they can have these long projections called axons that are, you know, meter long and, and longer. It's hard to imagine a single cell with that kind of projection, eh? Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, the, and motor neurons, they're, in, they themselves are remarkable units, but they sit, you know, in this complex network of neurons and non-neuronal cells, and, and they function in, in this, you know, such a complicated uh, system um, and what we've learned, I think, over the last generation uh, is uh, th that the dysfunction that leads to ALS is is not just a dysfunction of the of the motor neuron. It's the the entire system um, that uh, many elements of that system that that are involved uh, contributing to the dysfunction and ultimately the demise of the motor neuron. And, and as we begin to think about you know how to treat this, how to, how to prevent and treat uh, ALS, we, we really have to think about all of the elements that, that are um, contributing to, to this disorder. Yeah, and, and if you just think about what we're learning in the, in the few patients that we've now been, treated, been able to treat with us ALS, which we'll come to in a little bit, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And, and your wife, Leah, is is curator at MoMA? Is that right, or a curator at MoMA? She's a, a curator, and she she runs the research programs uh, at the museum. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you you get into the uh, you get to see the, the the exhibits before they before they show up to the rest of us. Hey, well, hers anyway. I, I get spoiled. You get to uh, see them before the crowds come. So it's a yeah, well, it's a, quite a privilege. I'm, I'm going to hit you up for next time I'm in New York. Okay, you're welcome. And Sonia, uh, I know that you, your husband is Uwe. Uh, uh, did I pronounce that right? Uwe, yeah. <laughs> well, good. That's the that's the sum total of German I speak. But anyway, that, uh, it's hard anyway. Okay. And and uh, I know he is head of an association of wine growers. I, I suppose is what you yeah. said. Mm -hmm. And you're a partner at Vectus as a business consultant. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, 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 so, uh, as you are, are you still able to to conduct your business activities with all the issues that Anna is having? Yeah. No, no. I uh, gave up my job. Um, yeah, for the time being, because um, uh, it's well. It, there's so much to do around Anna and it's um, yeah. And I feel that I have to be there for her and, uh, but it's not only a burden. It's also um, very uh, rewarding to, um, to care for her and uh, to see how thanks to, thanks to Neil and his colleagues, um, how she's uh, developing and is sort of escaping this, really terrible disease yeah yeah that's um, one of the features of disease of all sorts but especially these extraordinarily severe and rare diseases is that they affect not just the person they affect the family and 
and they're extraordinarily destructive and they families either come together or they split apart it seems and i'm, I'm pleased to see that your your family yeah. come together and yeah uh, for us this meant uh first of all not being together for Christmas in 2020. So um, I spent uh, Christmas uh, and the New Year's Eve with Anna in New York and uh, her sister and my husband, they uh, stayed in, in Germany also because of this Corona situation and really had a hard time and uh, we had really had to find ways um, to still have a sort of normal family life yeah oh. how old is anna's sister anna's sister is uh, 16 and anna is uh, 17, 17 now yeah mm -hmm. anna's sister is perfectly healthy and everything's all right with her huh? yeah 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 and that adds a burden to a young person that is is a challenge for most young people to, to contend with. And the attention on the other child and all of the things that come to play, I'm sure your families had to contend with a lot of that sort of thing too. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> why don't you, why don't you, uh, why don't we move to the star of the, of, of the podcast and that's Anna. <laughs> um, uh, why don't you, just tell us how, about Anna before and then after um, she became, you know, sick. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anna was born in 2004 in Hamburg. And um, at the beginning, she, she was perfectly healthy, healthy child. It was only at the age of three that um, some people in the kindergarten noticed that she was... Um, trembling from time to time which was a bit strange and we went to a neurologist for children but um, he reassured us uh, there's nothing uh, wrong with her um, uh, it's good for her to to do lots of sports but uh, well we don't have to worry and we didn't worry and she uh, developed well, like a healthy child and she became very athletic and um, she she did well at school. Everything was was nice. We were just a normal family. And at the age of 15 started uh, that she was sort of uh, having problems with her breathing. She um, was short of breath when she uh, ran up the stairs at home and uh, it was the first signs and then it moved on to uh, her having problems speaking and then um, she lost a lot of weight she had problems eating and um, well it, it, it developed really horribly um, till the point that she really needed um, support for her ventilation that she got a, um, a gastro tube because she was not uh, able to swallow anymore and uh, yeah we had horrible times and uh, uh, what was also horrible was that uh, we saw her uh, suffering getting weaker and weaker and no one had any idea well, we went to see lots and lots and lots of um, doctors. No one had any idea what this could be. Yeah, uh, No one thought uh, about ALS. Um, 
because ALS is not a, a, a disease of a 16, 15, 16 year old uh, person. Yeah. And um, it was um, then in, well, almost after a year that um, one specialist in Munich, Professor Müller-Felber, who had seen a lot of very rare diseases in children, urological diseases, especially, who uh, was the first um, to, to mention ALS, that it could be a very rare form of ALS. And then we, um, well, we did genetic testings and then uh, the outcome was, yeah, it is ALS. And we were, well, completely shocked. Yeah, that was... You were short of breath initially. Uh, I imagine you got referred to some specialist of some sort. Yeah. Uh, what sort of specialist was, 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 was that person? Yeah, the first person was a, um, a specialist on, on, on uh, lungs and breathing. Yeah? Um, and they said, okay, there's something, some kind of obstacle, but we, we don't know what, or we don't see anything. Yeah? And then we had um, her MRTs of her brain, um, Till the one uh, um, neurologist told us maybe it's a psychological problem. Yeah, maybe she has some, well, like teenager problem that is uh, showing in, in such a, a, a rare form. But, um, well, we went to see uh, lots and lots of specialists. Yeah. Um, but as I said, no one thought about ALS uh, except for. Um, this Professor Müller-Felber in Munich, yeah. Yeah, it is a, tragically a very, very common story for these, what we call nano-rare diseases, because physicians recognize patterns. And if you've never seen that pattern, it's, it's, it's hard to recognize. And your journey was, uh, you know, typical in the, in the process, but maybe a little better than many that we've dealt with in that you got an answer it, you know, in a year or so, um, when it seems like the average time to diagnosis for most of our patients somewhere around, if they live five to eight years or so mm. of, of what you, what you go through. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, I understand how yeah. debilitating all that process is and regret that you had to do it, but at least you did get to an answer. Yeah. So Neil, um, why don't we, why don't you walk us through what's wrong with Anna? So Anna um, has a, a very rare, nano rare, uh, case of, of ALS, um, as um, Sonia suggested. ALS is not a disease of 15, 16 year old um, people. It's a it's a, an old person's disease, right? You're, you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, Not old anymore for me, Neil. No, no for me uh, <laughs> either, but it is for Anna, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and so people, as you said, don't recognize the patterns. 15, 16 year olds don't, don't have ALS, so it doesn't get uh, into, the, into the differential. And, and to make it more complicated, Anna has no family history of ALS. Um, Anna's mutation is what we call de novo or spontaneous mutation. Neither Uwe or Sonia have this mutation. Um, and so it, like other 
young people with, with this mutation arose spontaneously for reasons we don't entirely understand, arose on its own in Anna's genome. Um, and it lay dormant, um, not entirely dormant. She had uh, symptoms, the tremors uh, and maybe other issues that, that, that Sonia uh, describes, you know, suggested uh, were, were suggestions unrecognized that, that there was a problem, but it wasn't until she was 15 that, that, that this problem manifested itself as ALS, as motor neuron disease. Um, and um, this is a mutation that is one of, if not the most uh, uh, aggressive you know, uh, causes of ALS. It, it, Anna did relatively well. She had, perhaps because she had respiratory and bulbar symptoms, she became aware of the problem a year before diagnosis. Um, I think other, young people with this same mutation, like, like JC um, and her sister, who, who had limb onset, they, they didn't um, figure this out until much later. They could compensate more for their problems in the way that you can't compensate for breathing and, and, and um, bulbar pro problems. And, and so Anna had a, a more of a, of a pre-diagnostic phase, which was in lucky, I guess. I mean, not that you can say that she was lucky in any way here, but um, it, 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 it gave time for her to, you know, to go through a diagnostic process to get a genetic diagnosis. Um, and you know, she was lucky too, uh, um, again, in that she had you know, extraordinary parents who um, were gonna leave no stone unturned for her. Um, and upon the, you know, as soon as they had the genetic diagnosis, they began uh, to reach out um, and made their way to me, I think in, in pretty rapid order. Um, and um, we had at that point um, treated a number of patients uh, with the ASO that we called Jacefusen, um, that um, was a uh, ASO developed by Ionis, shared with us um, and made, uh, Ionis made the, uh, this is pre and Laura, of course, but made the, the, um, uh, the, the, the this uh, therapeutic available to us in a way um, that allowed us to treat Anna um, with, with uh, an antisense uh, molecule, an antisense uh, therapy. Uh, the goal of that therapy was to, to lower the levels of this toxic protein, FUS, FUS, in Anna's system, in her nervous system, um, and to sort of put the brakes on a process that had begun a year uh, early. Um, and her uh, response has been, uh, in my mind, remarkable. Uh, the pe young people with this mutation don't do well. Um, uh, they... Uh, progressed very rapidly as Anna began to do. Um, and they um, usually reach some kind of a terminal point um, within a year, most 18 months of, of disease onset. Um, and we met Anna in December of, of 2020 and uh, we're 18 months uh, almost uh, since the initiation of her, her therapy. Um, and if you were to look at her now, I think you would, you would, you know, uh, 
and say that she is doing well in a way that it's hard to explain based on the natural history of, of that disease. So, so Anna has a, a form of ALS called FUS ALS. The mutation is in this FUS gene and, and it's what's called a toxic gain of function mutation in that the protein that's being made is itself toxic to neurons and causes them to deteriorate. And at the time, the decision about the FUS ALS effort at Ionis, of course, I was chairman and CEO there. And so I'm well aware of what was going on. And, um, and you mentioned bulbar uh, uh, symptoms. You might just, just explain what, what kind of symptoms bulbars are. Right. So, so uh, just maybe because um, I didn't say it, ALS is uh, a disease that affects motor neurons. Motor neurons are the uh, neurons that control muscular function. Those muscles include the muscles of our limbs, our, our arms and legs. Um, also includes the bulbar muscles, those which control talking and chewing and swallowing. Um, and ALS is ultimately fatal disease because it, uh, those motor neurons also uh, control the muscles of respiration, of breathing, the diaphragm and the accessory muscles of, of breathing. And all of uh, th those things are compromised when the neurons, the motor neurons de degenerate. ALS, in most cases, we, there's no known underlying genetic cause. Um, and, but in about 15, 10 to 15% of, of patients, we know that there is a mutation um, a genetic mutation that underlies the problem, that causes the disease. There are dozens of ALS-associated genes. FUS is, is one, of, one of them, um, and a relatively rare cause of ALS. It represents about maybe 4% you know, of the genetic cases overall. Um, and, but in the pediatric cases, juvenile pediatric cases uh, like Anna's, FUS mutations are more highly represented. It's, it's a more common cause of this rare form of, of ALS, this nano-rare form of ALS. And, um, and, and, and so uh, in this case, FUS is, is our target, right? The ASO the therapeutic is, is aiming at this one causal gene in this limited rare form uh, of, of ALS. And so it is one of the big advantages that we have as genetic therapy that the natarare patient brings to us is they almost all, not all, but almost all have a clearly defined mutation in a single gene that, that is the cause. And many of the times that we can correct that. And Neil, I know um, it, uh, that, that this all began with two identical twins uh, um, and one of whom had developed FUS ALS and, and died when she was 16, as I recall. And then the other, despite being an identical twin, didn't manifest her problems until somewhat later. Can you, can you just briefly tell us about that family? Right, so, so um, uh, JC Hermstead um, was my patient and um, Jason Fusen is, is named in, in her honor. Um, you know, this is a remarkable family that's um, you know, been, you know, horribly affected by, by this disease. Alex, as you said, was uh, 11, 12 years old at onset, um, and she was um, 
kept alive on a ventilator for a number of years and ultimately uh, came, uh, succumbed to her disease at age 17, uh, Anna's age now. Um, and uh, JC, her sister, uh, lived um, without symptoms until she was 24 years old. Um, and there, why there was a 12-year difference, you know, identical twins with the same mutation, de novo, again, spontaneous mutation, um, why, why it, it took an additional 12 years um, for JC to become symptomatic is one of the great you know, questions, big questions that we would love to understand because it speaks to the trigger events, right? It's not enough just to have the genetic mutation. There's a second event of some kind that, that triggers the onset of the, of the disease. Why, why did Anna live for 15 years with this mutation and not have uh, motor neuron disease, right? What, there, there's some second event, some second hit, if you will, that, that, that triggers the disease onset. And we very much would like to understand um, what this is. Um, we also don't care in a sense that um, whatever that event is, we would like to intervene before that event happens, right? In the future, if we can identify these mutations early um, and, and reduce people's risk of onset using the same kind of technologies, the same antisense therapeutics that we're using in the symptomatic affected individuals, I, we think you know, we could maybe uh, influence that, 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 that onset event. So J JC was the first. Uh, um, the, the therapeutic was developed with her in mind. At, uh, uh, her disease onset prompted uh, our initial approach to, to uh, Frank Bennett and Ionis um, about this uh, um, as a potential therapeutic strategy for our patient. Uh, the first um, FDA program, expanded access, uh, investigational new drug, uh, a protocol was written for JC, and she was the first, um, assuming all of the risks and, um, uh, and, and potential problems associated with a therapeutic that had never before been given to a human being. Um, so Anna benefited from JC's um, courage and, uh, and, and sacrifice and, and a number of a small number of, of other uh, patients who were treated with J.C. Fusen before Anna. Um, and what's been lovely, uh, and Sonia has met Lori, uh, met or spoken to, to, to Lori, J.C. and Alex's mom. Um, and there's a community, you know, of people that um, has um, gathered around this problem. Oh, I'm going to tell you back to Anna. Um, I, I, I suspect that the day that that you were told she had ALS was the end of the world uh, in, yeah. in, in the way you felt. And I'm sure that you heard there was no treatment. It was hopeless, right? Yeah. As from the doctors, we heard um, there's no cure. Yeah. You can do therapies just to, well, to make it easier, maybe to... Um, well, to uh, have a bit more time, but um, there's no cure. You know, you can't cure this disease. And um, yeah, it was my my father-in-law, Anna's granddad, who was a, a physician himself, 
um, he uh, contacted a, a, a relative in, in Newark, near New York. And um, yeah, this person, he, uh, well, used his network to, uh, to ask for anyone in the US who's Uh, who know, uh, knows anything about this fast mutation. And so um, we got into contact with, uh, with uh, Nietzsche-Neider. And that was, uh, for us, that was, um, well, the best, best, best thing that could have happened to us, yeah. Yeah, and you just described one of the really serious issues that we're trying to contend with, with, with in nanorare patients is there is no path. There is no way to navigate. You were very fortunate, sadly, most or not. And, and so as a community, we have to come together and find ways to build better navigation systems for people. And, and, and I think we're all committed to working on that. But I want to now, so December, you, you spent Christmas in New York. Yeah. Hardly a great way to spend Christmas if you're separated from your family. And... And at that stage, how sick was Anna? She could walk, still could walk. And we, we walked from the hotel to, to the first dose of JC Fusion together. But uh, she uh, was not able to really speak anymore. She um, had a, this gastro tube, so she was not able to eat anymore to eat properly and, um, anymore um, and uh, well she, she was quite weak yeah it, it was really exhausting for her the flight to New York and then um, the treatment uh, uh, itself was was exhausting and uh, yeah she, she needed time to relax afterwards uh, that was Well, her biggest problem was breathing and not being able to eat or to, to speak or to swallow. Like these bulbar symptoms were quite elaborated already. Yeah. So she had a, a feeding tube in and, and that was mm -hmm. the only thing that was keeping her from just wasting away. Yeah. And what did, uh, so she was treated. Um, I'm sure you had hope, but not expectations. What 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 did you watch in Anna over the next little bit? Mm -hmm. I mean, over the next weeks, because we stayed in New York till end of February, we noticed, or I noticed, because I I lived with her there, um, that it sort of stabilized. I mean, um, from May till December, yeah, uh, you could really watch her. Uh, how do you say that, wearing off or, or getting weaker and weaker. And um, I had the impression with the first dose, the second dose two weeks later, um, uh, it, she still lost some ground, but it was much, much slower than before. Yeah. And uh, she, we could still do some uh sightseeing in new york and uh, uh, she she loved central park and she we could walk there and things like that so she uh, so we really enjoyed our our time in new york we were missing uh, the family but uh, well we had to make the best of it yeah yeah hope 
Yeah. Right. So then she continued to get a little better uh, and, and um, eventually she had a, another swallowing problem, I, I think, right? So yeah. walk us through all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we came back, um, she sort of slightly lost more function, uh, the, the, the ability to walk. She got weaker walking. It was more, she, um, the distances became a bit shorter. And uh, I remember in June, last time we were in New York, um, uh, she was not able to, to stand up and sit down on her own. Uh, but after June, uh, it, it got better, yeah? Then um, her ability to, to uh, get up and sit down came back in July. She was able to walk upstairs slowly, but she was able to do that again. Uh, before in June and May, my husband had to carry her upstairs, and um, ah, it was there were signs of uh, recovering. I mean, we had this hope, but uh, this was really little miracles were little miracles for us. And but then, uh, unfortunately, in August, uh, she got a lung infection, and. Um, that was really horrible because um, her airways were blocked one night. So uh, she um, she had to be, had to get reanimated. Did you say that reanimated? That's it, right. It, it, uh, yeah, she had to be put on a, a ventilatory support. Right. Yeah, I mean she was uh, like thirty minutes without own circulation yeah she had to be to uh, be brought back to life yeah and then um uh yeah it took the the doctors two hours to really stabilize her again and um yeah and because of this infection she was so weak that um they put her in a in an artificial coma and at the end of Two weeks, uh, the doctor said, um, we can't uh, get her to breathe on her own again. She needs a tracheotomy. And um, well, we had talked about that before because what happened in between was uh, that in July, um, we found uh, the possibility with Professor Weber in St. Gallen in Switzerland that he could um, give the doses of JC Fusion to Anna in Switzerland. Because before, in, in, in March, April, May, June, 2021, we uh, always um, traveled back for a week to New York, back and forth um, to get JC Fusion from uh, Dr. Schneider and his team. But it got, um, that was really exhausting for Anna. And um, we didn't have any possibility to get that in Germany, yeah, because there are a lot of regulations and very bureaucratic things against uh, this treatment. In, in, in August then, um, we, well, sort of had this crisis. 
she needed the tracheotomy and um, we had talked about it with Professor Weber at the beginning of August, just in case, and we were happy that we had done that, so we were able to um, well, to be sure that Anna wants that, because she had told us she is convinced it's getting better. And if uh, a tracheotomy is necessary, she wants that to be done. So she had that. And uh, in the beginning, she needed ventilation 24 hours a day. And um, well, uh, in September, uh, we were really devastated. We thought maybe she, she couldn't move anymore because of this co artificial coma and all the medication she had. She was completely paralyzed. She couldn't move her fingers. She, she couldn't move anything. Yeah, she couldn't talk to us. She could, well, it was really horrible to see. We really had to guess what she was meaning when we were standing at her bed. Uh, but end of September, slowly, step by step, she got functions back. She uh, end of September, she was able to to type on her iPhone, and then she she was able to move more and more. And then in October, she was able to get up, uh, walk, uh, and it became better, better, and better. Yeah, and at this point. Um, uh, she's able to do uh, nine hours a day without any ventilation. Yeah, new record from last week. Uh, she's able uh, to walk up to four or five kilometers. Um, she is training to, to speak again, um, which is, is hard because her tongue is still, still paralyzed. We have a, a team of of people here, uh, people coming every day to work with her, therapists for breathing. And uh, she's very ambitious. Uh, she's doing two hours of, of schoolwork every day uh, today. So, um, well, we really have more than hope now that she can get back into a state where she's able to lead um, a life on her own, yeah. That's a wonderful story. And so she had a swallowing problem, got her, her airway clogged, then probably aspirated and had an aspiration pneumonia is what that's called, huh? And yeah. I'm sure at that stage, Neil, you, you felt that uh, that despite all the progress that she had made, that it would be unlikely that you'd see any more progress out of out of Anna. Yeah, the um, event that um, Sonia describes was very serious. It, it was life threatening, um, and we were worried. Uh, typically, with our patients, when something like that happens, um, it, it it often is life ending. Um, Anna has the advantage of being 17 years old and otherwise healthy and, uh, and strong and was able to fight her way back. Um, but uh, our um, 
point here is that yes, she recovered from the acute insult from the from the event that brought her into the hospital, um, but her motor system was able to recover. Right? I mean, typically you would expect that her disease would continue to progress through that period, and, and that the debility associated with her hospitalization and illness would compound with the motor neuron disease, and that would really just spiral downward. But no, she. She was able to, to recover, and, and um, in fact, I think she is better now than she was before the, the, the event in August. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is just not what we would expect based on, again, the natural course, the natural history of, of, of the forms of ALS associated with, with this mutation, this particular mutation, right, which is very stereotypical. Well, it's a wonderful story punctuated by tragic events and, and deep sadness and loss. And, you know, those are the stories of our patients, but it's a story of, of hope fulfilled and, 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 and a family that can look forward to a future that is, uh, we hope, very different from the from the future that they had just a year or so ago. And I'm sure this Christmas was better than some other Christmases. And I'm hoping next Christmas will be even better uh, for the family. I want to thank both uh, Neil and Sonia for this, but please especially thank Anna for her, for her courage and stamina and, and uh, for staying in there and putting up the good fight that she's had. It's, it's wonderful sharing this story with you. And I'm sure you'll hear all kinds of uh, appreciation from all our other listeners as well. Thanks so much. Thank Anna you. is convinced that one day she will give her own interview to you. <laughs> She's I, I, training for that. <laughs> well, get her going. I look forward to doing it. We need, we need the star on this show one of these days, okay? Okay. okay. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope, and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at enlorem.org. Search Enlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.